0: a very popular question in sort of the mid-1990s was this one. And this, this was so popular, actually, that you could almost people who went to a lot of quizzes would actually learn the answer to this, because it was just coming up so often. So we're going to see whether any of you remembered that, or indeed whether you can get the answer to this. So, here's the question. Can you name so bear in mind, it's from the late 80s, early 90s so you've got the sense of the time there you know, guys like Rich, forget it man, Uh can you name three top 20 hits or sorry, excuse me, the artists who had top 20 hits with a song called The Power of Love so three artists all had hits with a song called The Power of Love they were different songs and they were all within about a year of each other And I have prizes. Andrew. Uh, Huey Lewis on the News news. (laughs) is a very good answer. That was was from Back to the Future. Uh, Okay, I've got two more. Frankie goes to Hollywood. good they were all different songs Uh, the Jennifer Rush one was done by Celine Dion later I think so uh, power and love not the power of love but power and love are going to be two things that we're talking about uh, today as we're digging into this passage from from Ephesians. Uh, we're at the end of this uh, first part of this two-part letter, a bit like a play in two halves. We're at the end of the part one. We're about to have the, the intermission. Um, and uh, Paul is here going to be wrapping up with a, a prayer that we're going to look as we, as we dig into his word. But let me pray and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Uh, your word we thank you for the fact that you are a god of all power the fact that you are a god of all love we pray that you would help us to understand how that impacts our life how that changes uh, our life Uh, father we pray that you would uh, speak uh, very clearly to our hearts today that you would teach us more about yourself that you would show us things that we need to know lord and that you would change us in a way that would mean that we would be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, here we are, a quick recap. That'll come up in a minute. So, Paul's written this letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is a town on the coast of what we now know is Turkey. Uh, And He'd helped start that church. He'd been there himself for some time. They knew the folks there pretty well, I guess. If he started a church, Uh, but now he's left and he's in other places. He's actually in prison at this point. Uh, He's reminding them of some things. He probably already told them. He probably already told them some stuff, and now he's reminding them about that. And he's also trying to encourage the people in Ephesus. They're living there in first century, the first century Roman Empire. And he's trying to uh, encourage them with some, some stuff off that. Uh, and if you look with me here in verse 14, this is where we're going to start today. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth delivers his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he goes on. So again, Paul is praying here. Don't you love the way Paul prays? Uh, I wish my prayer life sounded like this. I wish my prayer life uh, was as uh, dedicated as, as his is. Uh, he always challenges me when I read one of Paul's prayers. He always challenges me about how I pray. Anyway, um, But you'll see there at the beginning of verse 14, for this reason. Okay? For this reason. Very good. For what reason? What's he talking about? If you look back at the beginning of chapter 3 that Louise was reading, was reading it says the same thing For this reason I, Paul uh, And if, you, if, if your, your Bible may at the verse of, end of verse 1 have a little dash as it goes into verse 2 what has happened here is that Paul started off saying something and then got carried away and, he, and in verse 2 of chapter 3 he just went off in another direction and here now in verse 14 he's coming back to what he meant to say when he started verse 1 so, and I don't know about don't know whether you ever do that you know, you're know, you talking to someone, you're having a bit of chat and that sort of stuff and suddenly your mind goes off in another direction and you start chatting to them about something else whatever it is or oh, you've seen her at number 28, whatever it is and then suddenly you go yeah anyway uh, as I was saying whatever this is, this is what Paul is doing here. He's sort of saying, okay, well, as I was saying, as I was talking about a moment ago, this is what I was really going on about. And uh, so really what he, for this reason, when he says for this reason, he's really talking about the end of chapter 2. He really goes that far back when he says for this reason. He's talking about all this stuff in chapter 2. And if you remember the... the um, uh, when Ian was preaching there, this is the end of chapter 2 there is talking about how uh, God has abolished those old divisions that used to divide people. He's he, he abolished uh, the divisions in terms of people's races, uh, in terms of their other things, uh, and uh, has in actual fact made one new people. And that one new people is called the church. Those who believe in Christ have been united, made into one body. Yes, that people in that body are distinctively different sometimes, but are all equal. All have the same value before God. And so when Paul says, for this reason I kneel, that's the reason he's talking about, for this reason, for the fact that God's made this one new people. Uh, And he breaks out in prayer. Because of that, for this reason I kneel before... uh, the Father, um, I pray, and look at look how, how uh, he says that, his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And that reinforces the idea of we are actually one family. Uh, in this culture, if you are uh, uh, a, a family, if your mother and father are... Uh, married and there is a child that child has the same surname they have the same second name they share one name and so in this same way uh, as Christians in the church we share one name which comes from the father that name is I guess you could say it's Christians uh, our father knows our name he, know, he, knows us, he knows who we are he knows us in a very personal way and the fact that we share that name together I guess reinforces that uh, we bear a, a family name and I suppose that makes sense we've, we've been adopted Christians have been adopted by the same father, so yeah, I guess that, that, that makes sense and this is and you may say, well, okay, okay that's a nice little bit out of the Bible, very, very good, but so what I think that is a profoundly important point to make. That although we may share, although we might have different perhaps cultures and those kind of things, we actually share one race. We are all one race under God. And when you think at, you look on the TV and you look at what is happening in Ferguson in in the United States, or you look at what's happening in Rotherham. Whatever it is, the idea that we are actually one race is an incredibly important thing for us to, to understand uh, in that way. This is not just a piece of dry theology. This is how people live their lives. The source of so much conflict, and Lisa was praying a little bit about that earlier, um, comes from people who do not believe that and do not understand where that is. So Paul kneels, he says he kneels, and that's an act of... Uh, when you kneel in front of somebody, that's an act of great reverence, isn't it? You know, you, you know uh, oh, you're so important. But he, but he kneels before, before the Father. Father is a very intimate and personal thing, so there's a, there's a little bit of, of sort of paradox there. But then, and, and he prays for this, this united family, this, this united family that has the same name. Let's look at, at what he, he prays for this family. Uh, first of all he dwells he, he, he prays that Christ may dwell in their hearts that from, from God's glorious riches that's a great phrase isn't it glorious riches you know God's got a lot of stuff and it's all really really good and glorious so from out of these glorious Reaches, Paul prays, that the Holy Spirit would strengthen Christians to have faith in Jesus Christ, in their inner being. Deep down in here, Jesus Christ would be planted. And if you look at that verse again, and just, just around that verse there, that is a great piece of scripture there. Do you, you notice how the three persons of God are included just around that, that verse there? God has the resources and the power. The Holy Spirit is acting inside of us and stirring up faith. And he's stirring up the faith in Jesus, in what Jesus has done. And all that acts together to save us and make us right with God. Through faith alone in Christ alone. So Paul is praying here then that this would be uh, true of the believers in, in, in Ephesus. He's also praying that they would grasp how wide and long and high and deep. I always get confused with that because as far as I know there's three dimensions in in things but he says how long, wide, deep and I'm thinking okay which is the missing one but that's just the uh, accountant in me I guess. Um, That how deep the Father's love is for us. How vast, beyond all measure as the song, song says is that love for us. And he's, he's saying that's going to be based on the believer being rooted. Think about big trees. You ever seen a big tree rooted with all kind of the root system out at the, the bottom of the tree? We're going to be uh, rooted and established. That word is more, thinking about buildings and foundations. We're going to be rooted and established. Which in turn is going to empower, empower us to grasp, to get hold of just how big God's love is. Uh, there's a hymn that talks about um, if, if all the sea was ink and all the clouds were, was paper and every one of us was a scribe, someone who, could, who would write things down, we all of us sat down with all that paper and all that ink and tried to write down the love of God. It wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough to capture how much love the Father has for us just the dimensions of that love uh, and that's an incredible picture add, you know you look out at the clouds and think okay all well, that's paper all the sea is ink it's not enough it's not sufficient to write down God's love and we talked about uh, God's love before and we've talked about it a lot, a lot since but thirdly as well as praying that, that the Ephesians would know that and perhaps know that in an ac- academic way he's also praying the Ephesians would, would know it in, in a way that is experiential that they would experience God's love it's all very well knowing about something in a quite an academic way but, but sometimes you only really get it when we get it sometimes we only really get it when we experience the love of God when we feel its impact in our lives, when we see its impact in the lives of other people around us. Does all that prayer sound familiar to you? Does all that prayer ring any bells with you? Just flick back a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, just over to uh, verse or about 16, 17, I guess. Um, Paul's praying in in verse 17. Again, he's, 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 he's burst out in, in, in spontaneous sort of thanksgiving and prayer. Uh, he, he's praying that verse 17 that there I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Yeah, that's it again, just see how Paul had prayed in chapter 3 that they may know God, they may know God's love uh, this section in, in, in chapter 3 that we're in today there's a lot of resemblance there to, to the prayer in chapter 1 and Jewish writers often did this if a Jewish writer wanted to emphasise something they'd say the same thing uh, a couple of different ways but it's basically the same thing, they describe it in different ways uh, in order to add, add emphasis, that's, that's one of the things that they did is that something that, that, that you can relate to? It, having a sense of God's love is, is something that we, we sometimes only see when we compare it to something else. Perhaps when we understand how much it would take to forgive us, then we can understand how big God's love is. When we understand how much it takes to die for us then perhaps we start to understand how big God's love is for us. It's Mothering Sunday today. Again, Happy Mother's Day. Everyone. Um, but can you imagine sending your only child to die for your enemies? That gives you an idea of how big God's love is. How much love does it take to invite the worst criminals to be an equal part of your family and to eat at your table? This, these things are when we start to get a glimpse of how big God's love actually is. How big it might actually be. Let's go back to chapter 3. Let's back um, at the end of that prayer then, Paul prays for the result of those three things, for the uh, for the faith dwelling in our heart, for the sort of head knowledge of the love of God and the experiential knowledge. He then prays that to grasp how hard it is and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're going to talk about, more about that uh, in a moment, but there's that idea of being filled with God. And you say to me, "Well, hold on, a minute. these people were already Christians; they already had the the Holy Spirit that was already dwelling in their hearts. So, so why is Paul then praying? May they be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God." And again, this is something that Paul often does. It's a statement that sort of says, now, but not yet. He often does statements where he says, yes, it is complete. And it's going to be complete again, more in the future. And you're like, mm. best way I was trying to think of an example of this, the best way I could think about this is when we learn to drive. Now, uh, Hands up anybody who's learning to drive at the moment. Okay, apparently Sam Brown is learning to drive at the moment. Okay, we are going to actually hoping to post on our website the times when he has his lessons, just so we can all stay off the road. But, um, but yeah, when you learn to drive, you have that thing going on where, where you, you, you pass the test. You know, you, you, you learn the highway code. It's a long time since I've done this, so forgive me if I take this wrong you learn the highway code and you go out and you do three point turns and reversing around the corner and parallel parking and all those kind of things and hopefully you don't run over anybody or hit- I do actually know someone who, who crashed slightly on, on his driving test and they still passed him how jammy is that he just nicked the corner of a car when he was doing the, the parallel parking thing and it, they still passed him um, I'd me for this uh, but, but you, you get the piece of paper that says you have the driving licence that says you, you can drive you can legally drive, you can go out and drive but then how often have you, have you heard this, people say well you learn to drive after the test you, know, you learn to drive so, so sorry to again, you learn to drive after you learn to drive what do you mean? I think, what, I think what they're getting at there is that, is that you, you, you get that you are legal, you are, you can drive, you can go out on the road, you are safe and you are competent. but as you go throughout your driving life, you learn other things, you get more experience, and sadly you probably pick up a few bad habits, those kind of things, and so you, you learn to drive afterwards. And I think this is what Paul, the kind of thing, it's an analogy, and no analogy is is perfect but I think that's the kind of thing Paul is saying here yes you have the Holy Spirit inside of us and yet you're still going to be filled with the fullness of God as you continue to live your spiritual life you will have more experiences with God you're going to pray more prayers you're going to see more prayers answered you're going to see God responding in different ways and so you will continue to be filled as you go Uh, this is kind of the difference big church words between justification and and sanctification. At one moment you are declared, yes, you are a Christian and yet for the rest of your life you continue to grow and mature and become more Christ-like through sanctification. So how long does it take to become a Christian? A moment and a lifetime. The moment when you're declared to be okay with God, but a lifetime as you experience as you experience that, that sanctification as you as you grow um, and yes, I've picked up some bad driving habits I know I have um, so, so Paul is, is, is finishing up this, this letter this first, this, this first part of the letter, excuse me of ephesians uh, and, and he prays this prayer, and then verse twenty and this is really where I want to to uh, camp out on this is he then bursts into Burst into praise he, he's, he, the title of the, of the series is captivated, He is so captivated he cannot help it. he is bursting out in praise again. Look with, me, look with me there again in verse twenty now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, that is a work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I've got to tell you verse 20 there, particularly the bit that says uh, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible uh, we, should, we should actually have a, a little leaderboard. Yeah, the top gear leaderboard in terms of like uh, starting a reasonably priced car. We should like a uh, most misquoted verse in the Bible. Yeah, you can we put them up there for, for, where, for where it is. Um, we've said this, I know we've said this before, I can't emphasise it often enough. It's really important when, when reading the Bible to get the context right to, to any verse. We've got to understand what's going on is uh, a Bible scholar called uh, Don Carson. Uh, and he said, sorry, excuse me, his father said, and he, Don Carson now quotes it, he said that a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Okay, I'll say that again, because that's a bit quick. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. What he's saying is that if you take a text out of the Bible, and you take it out of the context then you can twist that round as you wish to prove whatever you want to prove. Okay, so you've got to take the context and understand that. Uh, many people will say, you know, this verse is, translate this as, as basically saying, ask God for whatever you need, and not only is he going to do it, but he's going to do it even more than you can imagine for you. There is some truth in that, but we take it in a very materialistic way commercial kind of way we 're thinking about we 're thinking about cars we 're thinking about partners we 're thinking about money we 're thinking about promotions we 're thinking about all that kind of stuff in a, in a very sort of sense self centered uh, prosperity kind of way this the way in which we read that it appeals to our our vulnerabilities in a very dangerous way I think in the 21st century is God a generous father who's going to give his children all they need notice their need, not necessarily what they want, need yes to be clear, yes if that matches up with his will if that matches up with his will for our lives he does that, he likes to give his children good things he's a generous God And sure, some of those things are things that we did not imagine or even ask for before he does them. That is perfectly true. But we have to imagine, we have to be really careful not to imagine God is some kind of genie who we rub the lamp, make the three wishes and, you know, whatever it is. His will is not always our will. You know, we don't always know what we need. We just know what we want. He's not some kind of he's not some kind of interest free Wonga site or something where you know he just hand out the cash or hand out whatever's going on. You know, that is not I don't believe that is what this passage is saying. Let's look at it again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul, this was a common way of writing writing praise of somebody. If you wanted to praise a Roman emperor, if you wanted to praise a neighbour or whatever, first thing you'd do is you'd identify who you were praising. And so Paul does that. He says to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's saying, it's God. It's God I'm talking to at this point. That's the structure of it. Who can do more than all we can ask or imagine? That's going to be God. Everyone else, anything else in the universe can do some of the things that we might be able to Imagine, and we could probably ask for, and certainly we could measure them. Only God has this kind of infinite, boundless, limitless power. So, if, you th- if, you, if, if he has all that power, if he has all that incredible stuff going on, do you think that Paul's talking about asking for, for uh, a promotion of work or a new guitar or something? Mm, new guitar. Anyway, um, no, no, he is not thinking about that. He is thinking about the kind of context we're getting from, from, this, from this passage. So, so why, is, why is Paul doing that? Why is Paul bursting out with, with praising that? I think what we're saying is that this is coming from and most commentators seem to think this this is coming from the previous prayer. From verse 14 forwards. Paul is saying, look. Look how God is increasing your faith. Look how God has given you faith in, in your own heart. Look how God has given you knowledge of his love. Look how God has shown you his love. Look how God has poured his love out on you. That is more than you could have asked or imagined. That is immeasurably. You cannot measure God's love. You cannot measure faith in that way. This is what God has done for you. All this depth and width and height and breadth and all that kind of thing. And all of that, all of that is more than we can ask or imagine. Paul is on a totally different level. He's, on a tot- he's talking about something totally different than, than the day-to-day things of, of life. Yes, again, to be clear, God can and will provide those things for us. But in terms of this passage, Paul is talking about something much, diff- much more different. He's talking about the, the big stuff, the heart issues. And if we think about that, if we understand that, if we understand the depth, and breadth and height and whatever it was of God's love and, and we understand the faith that he's given us then that would cause us to break out in praise like that that would cause us to say, give, give glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever when we understand that we will give praise to God like that and most commentators stop there and say that that particular verse relates to the previous Verses 14 to 19 before it. Uh, but I want to suggest to you that in actual fact it applies, Paul is thinking about all the things from the first three chapters of Ephesians. I just don't think he's thinking about the, the, the prayer that he pray, prayed there. Uh, I'm, I want to suggest to you that Paul is thinking about that idea and r- latching onto that idea of the fullness of. To be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. That's right before verse 20. And so I think that's what causes him to say that. I think that's what causes him to say, to to praise God in that way. And folks, all the stuff we've seen since September, we've called this, this series Captivated. All the things we have seen since September, are they not talking about the full measure of the fullness of God aren't they more than we could have asked or imagined before we became a Christian and if, if we if we if we talked about all the things if we'd known all the things that we've talked about since September before we became a Christian we wouldn't have even we wouldn't even have understood that we, you know you're going to do what for me? You're going to bless my, my life how? I can't even imagine that. I can't even, I can't even get my head around that. Just flick back I mean, Just, just flick back to chapter 1. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pick out... You, you can read, pick up the verses and you, you may recall some of the sermons as we go through. But just, just look at some of the phrases in there and recall, particularly in the first part of chapter 1, some of the things that God has done. Uh, isn't that immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine God has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ we were chosen before the beginning of time to be holy and blameless he adopted us as his children when he should have been condemning us. God's freely chosen not to condemn us because of our sins, but because of his son Jesus Christ. He's chosen to forgive us and treat us as his precious children. He's made known to us what was previously a mystery. He's shown us things that, no, that up until he came, that Jesus came, no one had known before. He showed us that it was his will that everything should be brought together under Christ's authority. He's made us... To praise God's glory. He's given us the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised us. He's given us access to God through prayer. He's made us one body, one family, regardless of our our race or our ethnicity. We were dead. And now we're alive. We've received God's grace and mercy. And we deserve none of it. We deserve none of it. We earned none of it. We chose none of it. We did not ask for any of it. We could not have imagined any of it. We were too busy focusing on the here and now, our mundane lives. And all the time, God was doing more than we could ask or imagine. I want to suggest to you to, to have experienced that to know that is to experience the fullness of God when you consider all of that I think it's accurate to say God you can do more than I can ask or imagine you've already done that for me And so I bow my knee before you in thankfulness and praise to you. All the incredible things you've done are just a demonstration of your love for me. I have faith in you. And I want to follow you forever. Notice also there that that Paul says in uh, that the, the, the glory to God be given in the church and in Christ Jesus that is the, the place where we're going to see all these things working out we're going to see them best in the church we've said before that Christianity is not a solo sport earlier on Paul has said he's made us a family we're going to see those best in that family if you're a Christian here today, if that kind of praise on your lips? Can you see the immense, incredible things that God has done as we meditate on the cross and on the work of Christ? As we meditate on the nature of God and the awesomeness of the Holy Spirit? We would want to break out in praise and say now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. But what about if you're here today and you're not a Christian? What about if you're here today and and you've never given your life to Jesus in that way? Let me first of all say how great it is to have you here. We are glad that you're here. We hope you felt welcome. We hope that there you felt uh, at home and relaxed. Hope you had some cake and a, and a, and a coffee or a tea or something. Um, there's nowhere else we would rather you be than here with us today. Rhetorical question. Uh, what, do you, what are you feeling as, as I've talked about all that stuff? What are you feeling as I've, I've described all that stuff? Does it sound a bit, a bit weird? Does it sound a bit, some of the words may be strange to you? Imagine for a minute that Paul was here in front of you. What would you say to him? You know, he's written this letter. What what would you ask him? What would you say? What would your response be to, to what he's written there? What is your response when Paul says, God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? What are your emotions? Do you go back to that situation in your life where it appears that God did not turn up to save the day. Maybe those test results that shattered your life. Or perhaps you can recall experiences that you've had that have always puzzled you, have seemed strange, where you weren't able to explain what was going on. Maybe things even seem miraculous, I don't know. There, e- there are incredible things that God would like to do for you. But they are not necessarily going to be the ones that are foremost in your mind when you walked in this building. You probably didn't come here thinking about the things we've talked about today. You did not come here thinking about the knowledge of God or God's love for you, how big God's love was for you. You may not have come thinking about how God generously supplied everything from his glorious riches and yet here you have heard just pouring out heard Paul pouring out in spontaneous praise his worship of God because of the things that God has done for the people who believe in him if you hand your life over to God then he will do things in your life the things Paul has described here and others in fact immeasurably more and you can ask or imagine. Is it easy? No, often not. I don't want you to go away thinking that, that becoming a Christian and being a Christian is easy. Yes, there can be a price to that. There is always a cost of some kind, but it is a one that you will want to pay. You will want to change the way you live your life. Trust me, it is a natural response to your faith in Jesus. If you want to know more about that, if you want to know more about some of the things we've talked about, uh, then there is nothing we would rather do than talk with you about that. Please have a chat with someone who stood at the front here, perhaps with the Christian friend who brought you, or uh, with the Christian who's sitting next to you and might have a chat with you at the end of the service. We would love to tell you more about this generous, loving Father that we have. And we pray along with ourselves that you too would be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God in your lives. Well, as I was said, this is the end of this section in Ephesians and with Paul we say we are praising you God for all of this stuff, all these things you've been talking about in the first three chapters. We're praising you because you've done everything that matters. I hope that in this series you have captured a sense of how Paul is feeling as he was writing this, writing this letter. Just his excitement. The way in which he was just, just blown away by all the things that, that God was doing. That he summed up in that phrase there. Uh, Filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul was, I think it would be more than fair to say, captivated by all of those things. It fuels his praise, it fuels the way he lives his life. And that's what we're going to look at next. We're going to take a break for a three-week Easter series. You've got the sheet on your chair, make sure you take it away with you. The King Who Died. And then after that we're going to come back to Ephesians chapter 4, but this then won't be a series called Captivated, it'll be a series called Motivated, where we really talk about how the captivating theology of the first three chapters motivates us to live our lives. How it informs how we live as Christians. So this is a good place to break off for, for this Easter series. Uh... Easter is the time when we see the very pinnacle of all this stuff Paul was talking about. It is the very top of that theology, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But whether you're a Christian here, or whether you're not a Christian, whatever your relationship is with God at this point, I pray with Paul that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that you would be captivated by this God by who he is and by what he's done let's pray